Well, good morning and, uh, and welcome everybody to part three of the series that we're in right now called Dangerous Prayers and just kind of a fun story on how dangerous these prayers can be at times. Um, and week one of the series when we we're kind of doing a tech run through and, and the graphic on the screen behind me went up and it says, you know, dangerous prayers. The camera operator from behind uh, kind of poked his head out and looked at me and said, oh, dangerous prayers. I'll give you a dangerous prayer. Lord, give me patience. That's a dangerous prayer because you, you know what he does in that moment every time. Lord, give me patience. He doesn't just full on give you patience. He gives you the opportunity to grow in patience. And he's like, and for some reason for me, it always involves traffic. And I can't explain it. Uh, and it just kind of makes me wonder, we've done uh, three of these dangerous prayers together. And I just kind of wonder, what have been some of your dangerous prayers? Uh, if you would, uh, just send me a note, send me an email, uh, Dirk at EncounterChurch.org. Uh, some of the dangerous prayers maybe that you've prayed in your, in your life and what God has done with them. I would just really be blessed uh, by reading some of those. Uh, week one in the series, we, we started off by this uh, prayer of David in the Psalms, uh, Lord, search me search me. And he highlights some things. Remember, uh, we've been praying this for a little while in there. We had, a, we had a snow day one of the weekends. So it's been extra long that we've been praying this prayer. Search me. God, what do you see in me that maybe I don't see in me? Like for some of us, it's highlighted maybe this tension, family tension hovering just underneath the surface. And it's like, oh, there's this stuff in there that's just kind of like, like nasty in it. And God, you've seen something and now, and now you're inviting me to address it. Uh, Lord, search me. We had that line, remember, uh, what you fear the most is often where you trust the least. And for some of you, it's been highlighting some of those fears that you have. I admit, I had no idea before this series, I have a severe fear, lack of trust every time the fourth quarter of a Lions game comes on. No matter what the lead that we have coming into this, it's like, I have had a broken heart. I've been burned too many times. Lord, heal my soul, you know. Where you fear the most is where you trust, where you trust the least. You know, you apply these things spiritually, and a lot can happen in those moments. We to break me, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. For some of us, it's revealed kind of a person, maybe somebody who's, who's isolated, somebody who's lonely. I'm going to be the one to step in. Lord, you've broken my heart on that. For others of us, it's... It, for others of us, it's like, God, break me from my past. Break me from, from this unhealthy identity that I have, like, wrapped my life in. Uh, for some of us, it's been like, it's been like, I have always been the smart kid in school. And I've always had all the answers. And I've always, I've always been the one to offer other people help. And how severely detrimental that was as I internalized always being the one to have the answers on into adulthood and you know how debilitating it is not being able to ever ask for help because I'm the one who's supposed to offer help not ask for help Lord break me from that past uh, break me from being the cool kid break me from being the kid that's good at sports break me from all those false identities because you can't build a healthy life on top of these things search me break me. And today, today's a difficult one as well. And I promise we wrap it up after this one. But, but today, what we're going to do, before I share the prayer, before, what we're going to do is, is we're going to kind of encourage you to invert a lot of your prayers. Uh, so, I hear, hear this first. I love being invited to pray for you. Uh, people come up to me all the time and they're like, you know, could you, could you pray for this thing or that thing? And I want to say, it's an honor 
And I consider that sacred space that I get to be invited into. It's honoring. But I have noticed like this trend in a lot of our prayers. Would you pray for my grandma, for her health and for her recovery? Would you pray for the school that I'm trying to get into that God would make a way? You know, he parted the Red Seas. Maybe he can get me into college. I don't know. It seems like a big ask. If he does get me into school, help me pay for it. Maybe that's an even bigger ask yet. God, you know, would you do this? Would you give me a job? Would you give me a different job? Something that's meaningful. Something that's meaningful and helps pay the bills, right? Would you help, help heal a troubled marriage? Would you help me to come to terms with why my parents got divorced in the first place, right? We pray these prayers. I just notice along the way, they tend to be these kind of me-centered prayers, And what I'd like to do this morning is to kind of encourage us as a community to to invert that and to say, maybe maybe it's not going to be, what can you do for me, God? But what can I do for you? God, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? God, what mission in mind do you have for my life? And if we have a heart for it, today, this weekend, this message, wherever you're listening in, this could be like this, I call it kind of a a keystone kind of message. A keystone kind of, where like everything kind of falls into place, where everything starts to get built on. This could be like the weekend that your life starts to change. This could be the weekend that you start to hear this still small voice from God that says, Something's going to change. Something's got to change. This could be the weekend when you start to hear from God, it's time to move on and move out. Grand Rapids is not going to be the home for you. Or what's possibly even more difficult, some of you have been attending here for a little while. Some of you have been college students here for a little while. And you've been digging into this community. And there was always a clock hanging right above you that said four years to go, three years to go. And then I am out of here. And for some of you, this is going to be the weekend that you listen to that small voice of God that says Grand Rapids is in fact home. And it's time to dig in. It's time to stay. This is going to be the weekend where we hear from God and we say... It's time for me to move on out from a bad relationship. It's time to break up because I have settled for far too little for far too long. It's time to get an upgrade on this thing. This could be the weekend when you stop circling and start to dig in. Join a group, join a team, join a church. Like this this could be the weekend when we hear from God and things start to change. If we pray the simple Two-word prayer, send me. Simple prayer, dangerous in result, because we said this each week, because even a half-hearted prayer might be answered by the whole-hearted God. And if so, (laughs) watch out. I'll tell you where the the prayer comes from. It comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Isaiah, and the words are going to be on the screen behind me so you can follow along on your phone if you want. But Isaiah chapter 6, and we're kicking it off in verse 8, and then we'll back it up to explain it here a little. This is the end result. This is the goal, where Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah speaks up and he goes, here I am, send me. And I love that. Here I am, send me. Whatever the, whatever the question is, it doesn't matter. The answer is always yes. Here I am, send me. Without hesitation, reservation, or qualifications, here I am, send me. And I wanted you to hear it right off the bat because it's like, holy cow, that's what's on the table, that's what's on the table here. That's, that's what we're going for. 
And it's going to be a little bit of a journey, so kind of hang out before we get to where we are sitting right now, to where we're honestly and authentically praying that prayer that Isaiah, here I am, send me without hesitation, reservation, or qualification. The answer is yes before I even hear what the question is. It's hard. It's hard for me. I think it's hard for every one of us. Like, I don't know about you, but like sometimes I hear these like little nudges from God, and I don't. I'm not like, a, like an audible voice of God kind of guy. Like that's not when I say, that, you know, you, you hear the, the small voice of God. It's not like, you know, heaven's breaking open and saying like, Dirk, this is what you got to do next. That's not the deal. I just get this like strong inclination in my gut. That's the best way to describe it. This strong inclination in it, and it lines up with scripture, of course, and, uh, and, and people also kind of confirm and say, yeah, like I can see that in you. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's big and sometimes it's, sometimes it's really small. And sometimes it's so small that I tend to overlook it and I think I miss out on a lot of the good things that God is doing as a result. So for, for an example, um, this started uh, just after college. I was in, I was in seminary. I was, a, I was pastor of training school. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of time on my hands. All right? So like, it's, it's school. and kind of doing the schoolwork thing. And I just had time to like focus on Jesus, you know, and, and all this sort of stuff. It's good. One of the things he was telling me is, you know, the people that are like asking for money, you know, panhandling and saying like, you know, help, help somebody out. The, the people that you're with. Uh, that you walk by all the time. What do you do with that? Because on one hand, you're, you're called to live this kind of extraordinarily generous life, radically generous life. But on the other time, like the guy says on his sign, I'm not going to lie, it's for beer. So like, I don't feel great about this. I feel like I'm kind of enabling and that doesn't feel like the right thing to do. Uh, so I heard this kind of like nudge to say, Dirk, you know, you're you know, no kids, you know, it's, it's really just you out here. So take a small calculated risk. When you see one of these dudes hanging out, just invite him into a conversation. See where it goes. And that started leading to, hey, you know, you're asking for money for, you know, whatever it is. Can I buy you a sandwich? Can I buy you a hot dog? Can I buy you? So what we ended up doing is we just start up these conversations with dudes. And most of the time it was like, absolutely, let's go in, let's get something neat. We'd sit down together and hear about life. And I'm telling you, it's interesting every single time. Like no matter what the story is, no matter what the backstory is, it's fascinating with every single individual human being, everybody has a story, and I'm blessed for like hearing it, right? So you kind of like cultivate this rhythm, and it takes a little time. Fast forward, I don't have as much time anymore. It's not just me. I'm like walking down the street, and I got my daughter at the time. She's like three years old, and the guy's like, you know, hey, just help somebody out. And I'm like, so this is tough, right? Because my three-year-old is not watching, and it's hard to explain to her what enabling and, you know, codependency and all these things are. So we like, like, like walk by, and I get this sense of like, it's a sandwich. You've done this a dozen times or more. And it just, and I can't really spend, I just end up telling, like, God, no. I didn't have a good reason. I didn't have anywhere that I was going to be. Nobody was waiting on me. It wasn't a dangerous situation, you know? It's like people all over and the subway is like right there. Like, it's not a big deal. But I just end up telling God, no. And it's a small thing, and I'm probably not going to get a lot of hate mail, you know, for like, I can't believe you would turn your back on, you know, the brokenhearted and lonely and lost and all. You know, it's very justifiable. But, but when it comes right down to it, I heard this nudge that I've said yes to in the past, and this time I just said no. And I start to think about the life that God would have for me, that God would have for any of us if we didn't say no, if we could just say yes. I think a lot of times in our life, we settle for something way too small and way too little because we don't say yes to the things that are slightly outside of what makes us feel comfortable. And we're like, would my life have changed if I said yes to this guy? Probably not, not overnight, but if I cultivated this habit of saying yes to those nudges of God, 
I don't know where that would have taken me. And more important for you, I don't know where in the world that would have taken you. And we look back and we have all kinds of reasons, and even like biblical references, to say no. You look back, some of you grew up in church and you're like, oh, I know how to say no. I'll just take my cues from Moses. God shows up. Moses is like, oh, he's Moses, you know, parting the Red Seas, all this stuff. Moses, Moses. But God first shows up to him, you know, in the burning bush. And before he's like, let my people go, kind of Moses. Hey, Moses, you're my, you're my guy. I want you to lead my people out. And he's like, here I am. My brother is solid. You should definitely go talk to him. Like, he's your guy. There was a change of address situation. You got the wrong person. You got to go. Here I am. Send somebody else. That feels profoundly relatable. This is not my gifting. Send somebody else. Uh, Next week, we start a brand new series on Jonah, which is a wild story. And you think you've heard the story of Jonah before. But like the cultural stuff and the language stuff that's going on, there's going to be so many twists and turns. You're going to be dizzy next week. It's a small plug. Uh, But part of the Jonah story is God coming to Jonah and saying, hey, go to Nineveh. You know, preach against it. And Jonah doesn't say no. He just nopes right out of this situation and gets on a boat and heads the opposite end of the world. He is out. Ghosting is also an option on God. Like we see these things. Um, Samuel is like, he's a kid and he's lying awake at night. And, and he hears this, Samuel, Samuel. What does he do? It, can't, it cannot be the voice of God. This can't be from him. It could be anything except that. You know, it could just be like something in my head. I don't know. It could be the old man Eli in the next room over just pranking me. You know, Samuel, Samuel, right? It could be the burrito that I had before bed at night. It could be anything but God. We have options of different ways to say no for God. But I think what's helpful for you is what's your no? Like, what's your go-to thing? Right? Because a lot of us, we get that nudge, we get that like, kind of voice in the ear that's like, you know, it's just good, and it, it kind of lines up, and I think it might be from, from Jesus. And it's like, yes, Lord, here I am. You know, asterisks. Terms and conditions apply. Here I am. Hit me up a little bit later. Uh, here I am when I'm more prepared. Uh, here I am, Lord. Send me next week to Las Vegas, Nevada for the Super Bowl to watch my lions. You've done great things in the desert in the past. I just need one more miracle, Lord. <laughs> like we, we set these like, like, here I am, send me, but let me get out of debt first. You know, let me, let me, let me get my future, let me get my life together. And I'm, I'm approaching, approaching 40 years of wisdom over here, okay? And the one thing that I'm starting to pick up on, I don't think anybody has it together. Like, like that time is not coming, <laughs> Which makes it the perfect excuse to say no to God. Because you can just keep on saying not yet. And watch as this incredible full life that Jesus has for you just pass on by. And so what, what, what we need to do, and what, what today is really about, is, is how to say yes. How to say yes. Here I am, Lord. Send me without hesitation, reservation, or qualifications. Here I am, Lord. Send me. And the answer is yes to your question before I even know what the answer to. And I think Isaiah shows us in the verses that precede the final answer that I read for you, in the verses ahead of that, he shows us what this can look like in our life. So there's, there's going to be three ingredients here. And I just want to start off in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, starting off in verse 1. 
we're here in the beginning of this section. Um, in the year that King Uzziah died, and I want to like pause right there. Let's keep that graphic on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah, Uzziah was a good king, like a really good king. Uh, he had, uh, he, he trusted God for nearly his whole life. He was a prosperous king. He expands the borders. People did well under his reign. People liked him. He liked God and trusted God until the very end. He was maybe just like a little, little too prosperous for his own good. And so he got a little impatient towards the end of his life. And he said, God, you know what? If you're not going to do this thing, I'll do this thing. And he steps in and he does the priest's role instead of them. Right? And so he kind of like steps in and says, like, I'm the, I'm the man. And apparently God did not appreciate being put off to the side this way. So the, the historian Josephus tells us the story. He goes, at that moment, the ground shook. Like as soon as he's doing the priest's job, the ground shook. The walls split open. It was this sliver of light that landed on Uzziah's skin. And immediately it turned to leprosy. And I heard a little about leprosy. It was, it was terrible. It was dangerous. And then, and then the scripture tells us um, that the leprosy grew and eventually took his life. And Uzziah was buried far away from the graveyard of the other kings, just as this, this testimony of what happens when we defy God. Uzziah was a good, good king up until the very end. He dies. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, hang on to that, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Isaiah sees a good king with a bad ending die. And a lot of the commentators are saying, I think that it's possible that Isaiah starts to like slip into this, starts to slip into this kind of depressive state. Where he starts to see this awesome vision of what God had in store for the people slip away from him. And he's like, God, I thought you were building something here. And God gifts him. And I love that language. God gifts him a vision. In the middle of that line, remember, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. God gifted him the experience of being reminded that God is still in charge. That no matter what, there's a throne in heaven, with God still sitting on it. And even though Uzziah was removed, forcibly removed from his throne, and Isaiah's head is spinning and trying to make sense of it all, he was reminded, God gifted him the reminder that there's a throne and God is still sitting on it. Some of us, we cannot hear this message enough because you have experienced setback, you have experienced loss, you have experienced decay, you have experienced disease, you have experienced job loss, and you need to be reminded that even though you lost a good thing, there's still a good person sitting on the throne in heaven and he is still in charge of it all. And God shows up to him with a genuine experience of God where he gets to look up and say, I saw, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. It's a genuine experience of God. Have you had one of those? Kind of a rhetorical question in this context, but maybe ask a little bit about it later on the car ride home. Have you had one of those experiences of God? Right? Because I don't think we can ever, ever get to the place of saying an unqualified, unreserved yes to God before we even know what the question is if we've never experienced him in the first place. 
So like for me, I've had a, a couple of these experiences, man. And if you've been around encounter, you, you've, heard, you've heard a few of them already. I, I shared one last week in the Break Me message. You can go hear, hear that one again. Another, another one that I haven't shared in a little while is the early days of encounter just starting off. And I'm like, man, I have asked every person that I know to help fund this church. Like the fundraising game was, was weak, but it was also strong. Like I poured everything. I'm like asking my grandmother to cash in her social security checks to like pay for this thing. Like it's despicable. And I'm like, God, are you even going to honor that? Are you going to do anything with this? Is this going to work? Or, or are we just going to kind of hang up, sing, hang up, sing a couple songs, and then like forget that, that you were ever behind anything in the first place? Like what? Is our lives actually going to change? Are we going to draw closer to you in this experience or is it all wasted? And I'm driving down the highway at this point, M6, south of town. I'm driving on the highway and I'm just overwhelmed with like, this is going to work. This is going to happen. Nobody's life is going to change. This whole thing is a waste. I've wasted so many of God's resources on this. I cannot even believe I'm just in this bad place and I'm driving down M6. I'm merging onto 131. And it just, God hit me. And you guys, I had to pull over on the road. Tears are like flowing down my eyes. And I can't describe to you other than the sense of God's overwhelming sense of presence. And he didn't like voice, he didn't promise anything. He didn't say anything really specific. And I just, the overwhelming presence was just one of peace. And it's like, come what may. You know, having Jesus is enough. Serving Jesus is enough. And every time I'm like in a bad place, and I tell you, 2020 through, you know, 2022-ish, you know, you make jokes about like, hey, church would be great if it wasn't for all the people. And then God's like, <laughs> what if there's no people anymore? And it's like, it's so much better with the people. <laughs> and I'm just reminded, Jesus is enough. Serving Jesus is enough. It's more than enough. It's a full life right there. Uh, first ingredient, you know, a genuine experience of God. If you haven't had one of those, I think maybe forget about listening to the rest of the message and just focus on that one. God, would you gift that to me? You're God who shows up. He wants to make his presence known. Start yearning after him. Start craving after him. Start setting time aside to make presence. Make time for the presence of God in your life. Uh, ingredient number one to saying yes. Uh, a genuine experience of God. And then, and then a twist happens in Isaiah. This is the, a couple of verses down, and uh, this twist happens because Isaiah, uh, Isaiah had kind of a, a little bit of a reputation already at this time for being a woe guy. This is different than a woo girl. That's something entirely separate. Um, probably more fun to be around, but a woe guy is just somebody who's got, it's like Eeyore, you know, he got bad news for everybody, just all the time. You know, woe is you, you're in trouble. Woe is you, you messed up again. Woe is you, get your life together, dude. Like Isaiah is a woe guy, but he's got a woe for everybody else. Verse five, chapter six, is the first time that we've got a, a new kind of woe. Uh, let's read it. Verse five, he says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Woe, not to anybody else, but woe to me this time. See, what, what happened? It's so fascinating, especially in this culture. Is what, has, what is happening? What's going on in, in the passage here? Is we, we often have this experience where we're like trying to figure out, like, where am I? Like, am I, am I a good person? Am I a good, am I a good dude? 
Like, is this the life I should be living? And what we do to answer that question is we start to look around horizontally at the people around. And you're like, well, I'm better than that guy. You know, I'm, I'm better than Dirk. And so if I'm better than Dirk, you know I'm doing like okay, right? So like I'm, I definitely am a good person because I'm better than most of the people that I spend time with who are probably better than most of the people in, in the world. So yeah, I guess that I'm a good person. And I don't know if Isaiah was doing that already. That's just, that's just what we're doing. But when God showed up in his life, something changed for Isaiah. He doesn't, he doesn't look around anymore. He's looking up at God. He's doing this vertical thing with God. He's saying, I'm not going to compare my life to everybody else around me. I'm going to compare my life to God, to perfection. And when he sees God's goodness with his own badness, things start to change. I know that wasn't like grammatically like total, but like you got to just give me that one. All right. Because he's not comparing himself anymore to everybody else around because he's like, I don't think any of us are really all that good. And he sees God's goodness and it changes how he sees his own badness. What happens in Isaiah's life is a genuine awareness of sin. So he's got the genuine experience of God's presence and awareness of his own sin. And I don't just mean like he sinned once in a while. He's sinful. Ever think about that word, sinful? Sometimes we don't think of ourselves all the time as like sinful. We're like, you know, I I messed up last week Thursday. I slipped up a little here and there. Usually a pretty good person though. No, no, sinful. Uh, Play a little game, kind of what that looks like for some of us who might be a little resistant to that language and and I get it. I think it's normal to be a little resistant to that language, but no show of hands. You don't have to raise them up, but anybody like ever tell a lie? You know, it's like, oh, the fish was this big. (laughs) Exaggerations count as lies. Somebody took me fly fishing a few years ago, which is very difficult. Um, And I don't remember anything from the experience, but I do do remember uh, freshly caught trout in hand. And uh, he's like, let's get a picture. And I'm like, hey, hello. He goes, no, no, no. Uh, I can tell you're new at fishing because you're doing it wrong. And he goes, when you hold the fish, don't hold it here. It looks small. Hold it up here. So, and for the camera, it looks so much bigger. And it did. I'm like, I get it now, okay? And I, we tell lies. What, What do you call somebody who's told a lie, right? You know, we kind of, Go, go through, like, we steal anything? This is just like the top 10 list, right? This is the 10, com- 10 commandment kind of stuff, like carved in stone. We steal anything? Okay, we got millennials here, right, that, uh, that lived in the Napster lime wire days, right? Pirating is stealing, you know? Uh, using, using a VPN to watch a football game out of network. Some of you have no idea what, what I'm talking about. If you do, mm-hmm, that's the Holy Spirit right there theft. You know, what do we call somebody who steals, right? You, you go to the gym, there's people like working out, and sometimes, you know, they're not like wearing all their clothes, you know, and they're like doing like the exercises, and you can't, you, you try, you like look at the floor, look at your shoes, focus on yourself, doing whatever you can. But you guys, there's also, there's mirrors everywhere, and so it's incredibly difficult like not to look. So that's why me, for my purity, I made a home gym, and I'm like, Lord, keep my eyes clean, you know? Not true. I made a home gym because I wanted to tell my friends that I'm the biggest guy at the gym. That's why I did it. That's my, 
There's a thing about vanity for another time. Doesn't matter. It's about you right now. It's not about me. You know, what do we, what do we call it? Jesus said if you look at somebody lustfully, you know, it's like you already did that in your heart. It's like you already did that. You get angry, angry at a boss, angry at a parent. You blow up at your kids. Jesus is like, man, if you got that, that anger, it's like murdering them in your heart. We kind of check down the list, and I think that what we have done together as a community of saying, yeah, I, I'm a lying, thieving, adulterous murderer. And it's pretty hard in that posture not to go before the throne of God and to say anything except I am sinful. And I'm not, I'm not, I want you to hear my heart. I'm not trying to like beat you up on this. This is just kind of like a come to, come to reality, come to Jesus kind of moment, right? I'm not trying to beat you up. You've got your mother-in-law for you to beat you up. You, you got that. That's not the point. The point, the point is that when we're aware of how sinful we are, life starts to make a little bit more sense because somebody comes along the line and they're saying, you're perfect just the way that you are. And you know in your heart of hearts it's just not true. You know in your heart of hearts, deep down somewhere, that it's hollow because you know that you're not perfect just the way that you are. But it's better than that. There is grace and there is growth. Isaiah continues on and he says, then, then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me with a live coal in his hand. A picture of this scene, right? And he had, which he had taken from the, from the, uh, with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. The hot coal touches his lips. But instead of burning his face off, his guilt and shame and fear melts away instead. This, this language is hugely representative of, of the, the, the day of atonement kind of language where the priest would take the hot coals from outside and go in and light, this, light the sacrifice up. And all of the sins and the shame and the fear of all the people would get burned away. And now God is saying, Isaiah, I'm not just doing that through a prophet or a priest anymore. Isaiah, I'm doing that myself. I, myself, am going to be the one to take away your shame, take away your sin, take away these fears that separate you from me. I'm doing direct access in your heart. And he didn't know it at the time, but we absolutely do know about it now because we sing about it all the time. Jesus has paid that price once and for all. He has gone directly to go to war in our hearts to win us back. Isaiah, if you're keeping track, gets this genuine experience of God's presence, awareness of his own sin, an understanding of God's grace, an understanding of God's good grace. And his lying lips are forgiven, and his lustful heart is made clean and his self-centered mind is atoned for. Even his secret thoughts are separated from him. As far as scripture tells us is the east is from the west and God remembers those things no more. It's grace. When you have those three things, experience God, aware of sin, understanding of God's good grace, Something changes. The yes isn't such a big ask anymore. And so we come to that last line that you already heard, but I think it hits differently now. Isaiah said, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, 
Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. The answer, Lord, is yes. And I don't even need to know what the question is. The answer is yes, without hesitation, reservation, or qualification. The answer is and always will be yes. It's kind of a, it's kind of a preacher story. And it, and it gets told because, not because it did happen, because it does happen, like so much, so often. I've seen it, and, and you've seen it too. And to see it up close, it's powerful. But you, uh, some of you have experienced kind of a little bit more traditional, little old school church. My, uh, my daughter, when she was little, we went to this Catholic church one time. She called it a quiet church, as opposed to like what she thinks of as normal church, which is kind of on the louder side. But anyway, we go to a quiet church, <laughs> And what often happens, you know, people stand up and at the end, uh, end, of the, end of the service, and I went to one of these when I was a kid, at the end of the service, everybody, you know, is singing out. And the pastor, just before the last verse of the last song ends, the pastor kind of goes down the center aisle. Some of you, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, you've been there. You've done that thing. And uh, there was a time in my past, like, uh, we, we went to one of these churches just for a hot sec, and... Uh, and I said to my brother, because the pastor, I you know, watch this guy get to leave like early every time. And I said to my brother, dude, I'm going to be a pastor one day so I can leave church early. <laughs> it did not work out, but that's all right. Uh, <laughs> so you know, the pastor goes, goes down the center of the aisle and then he goes in the back and he kind of like shakes hands, you know, like, you know, nice to meet you. Good to see you again. Everybody's like, hey, good sermon, good sermon. I got a bone to pick with you, you know, good sermon, that sort of thing. And this dude comes up at the, at the end, of, end of worship and he shakes the pastor's hand and he goes, uh, the answer is yes. And he's like, okay, that, that's strange. Move you right along, right? <laughs> like, eh, good sermon, good sermon, good sermon, kind of that thing, and they, and they keep going. Next week, same thing happens. Guy comes up, shakes his hand. The answer is yes. <laughs> and he's like, what in the world? A third time, it happens again. So now the pastor's like, well, I absolutely got to call this guy up. You know, what, what in the world is happening? And so they go out and have coffee together, and the pastor says to the guy, dude, what is with the answer? What is with the, the yes thing at the end of the, like, help me understand, that's nothing to do with what I'm preaching about whatsoever. Are you even paying attention? What's going on? And the guy opens up and he starts to share his story. And there is just twists and turns and brokenness at every corner. I mean, he's unpacking a personal story and there's profound substance abuse on the tail end of his second divorce. And sometimes you talk to divorced people and they're like, you know, it was both of our faults or it was all her fault or his fault. And this guy's like, it was me both times all the way. It's me. I get it. He's unpacking stories like my kids don't even want to like talk to me anymore. Like my life is just, it's just absolutely wrecked. He goes, and then Jesus showed up. You know, genuine experience of God pointed me to my own brokenness and, my own gr- and, and God's own grace showing up in my own life. And Jesus starts to put my life back together. And I, I gotta tell you, the divorce, you know, went through anyway. My kids, you know, they'll pick up the phone sometimes, sometimes. My life is far from where I want it to be, but what I've learned in those moments is God is so good that a yes isn't too much to give him. In light of everything that he's done for me, the answer is yes. Without hesitation, reservation, or qualifications. The answer is yes, no matter what the question might be.
And I share that with you because some of you know that guy. Some of you are that guy. It's profoundly life-changing to experience God, our sin, and his grace. This week, you're going to get that nudge. It might not be an audible voice. It'll be a nudge. Step out, do this, say something, don't say something. Give, and it'll feel so small. But I'm telling you, this is the beginning seat of a changed life. Let's say those last two words all together. Here am I, Lord. Send me. I invite you to stand up. Let's pray to that God together. Jesus, this is dangerous ground that we're on. We recognize that. Spirit, because you're going to hear this and you're going to respond. Lord, we believe that you are a living and a personal God who speaks even today. Lord, may you give us a heart to hear what you have to say. Maybe it's an experience of your presence. Maybe it's a word of conviction on our own sinfulness. Maybe it's the grace that we need to hear about, Lord. But you speak. Give us ears to hear what you have to say. And may we respond. Here am I. Send me. In your name, amen.